You know how fast you're going? What? How fast you're going? I don't know. Ten? Eight. Be advised, this is an explicit podcast, so if you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot, turn this off before you get butt hurt and mad, start to cry, have to run to your safe space. All opinions are those of the host and his guest, and do not reflect the opinions of any government agency. Welcome to uh, another episode of Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. Uh, y'all excuse my voice if I sound different. Uh, got diagnosed with COVID last past Tuesday. Yes, past Tuesday. And it kicked my ass pretty good for quite a few days. Just getting back on my feet. If anybody noticed that we didn't put out a Wednesday, uh, midweek news report, that was because I was lying in the bed, uh, thinking to myself that I was going to die. So... <laughs> That's why we, I didn't do a podcast. So, but I didn't die. I'm back up at it. Not a hundred percent yet, but I'm getting there close to it. Uh, today we have a very, very special guest, uh, a nice young lady who's things pretty much accomplished in her life so far too. Uh, so uh, let's uh, welcome Miss Bridget. I'm going to mess it up. I know I am. <laughs> Say your last name for me, babe. Truxillo. Truxillo. That's it. She just told yeah. me that, and I got COVID right now <laughs> and forgot. Just told me that like 30 seconds ago. So I'm welcome to Bridget. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I know you're not in law enforcement anymore. You, you how many years did you do in law enforcement? Uh, about four and a half long years, um, so nowhere near as long as you have or many people listening have, but um, certainly felt long enough. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I you, did it. but you kind of went a hundred percent when you hit the ground. You didn't I did. take the you didn't do the long route like I'm going to do patrol for a little about five, six, ten years. I'm going to do work here, and then you kind of just hit the ground and went. I don't know, but straight into I did. narcs or something like that. It was pretty soon after, um, within in less than a year, I went to the undercover narcotics unit and joke around with that. So I spent the next three years buying crack for a living. Um, and but also while I was on the narcotics unit, I was also um, on the SWAT team. So I was the only female member of the SWAT team. I don't, I don't think they've had any more females. I would be very surprised if they ever had another female. Um, but, yeah, so I did uh, narc- patrol, but then the majority of my time was undercover narcotics and SWAT team. Yes. Well, congratulations on the SWAT team. I was on a SWAT Thanks. team for for uh, a founding member of a SWAT team when I, my original department. And, uh, mm-hmm. I can tell you it's – Everybody out there, it's it's a lot of work and a lot of hard work, you know. Mm-hmm. 
as much as I, I'll give some of them guys crap and stuff like that. I, you know, because I wasn't getting tongue tied. It's because I was there and did it, and I know how hard it is to do it, especially uh, small departments. That's not a full time SWAT. Mm-hmm. So you're working patrol or detective, plus you're doing the special response, uh, special response team stuff, and that's just all that much more training you have to go through. So mm-hmm. a lot of training. Yeah, I'll give it to you this. Uh, when I first when I first started, of course, you know nobody knew who I was. So they put me with a narcotics guy for a couple nights, and they had me going out and doing uh, uh, buys. Back then it was crack, so I was out buying crack, you know, hand to hand, you know, hand hand to hand, uh, yep. buying crack, and I learned very very uh, quickly that that was not for me. I wasn't scared. I just hated it. <laughs> I just, yeah. I hated, I hated buying dope. I, yeah, it's gross. I, I, I just, mean, it's a, yeah. <laughs> so if you did that many years doing it, I mean, and I know, I, I know guys and girls that uh love doing narcotics. I see, I did it for like, like I said, two or three nights and buying drugs. And I was like, I, I, I want out. I don't want anything to do with, you know, buying drugs. And, course i found my niche writing tickets yeah because when i was in patrol i spent most i tried to do as many traffic stops as i could so that i could just try and switch flip that into an investigation um you know because we the way we trained for traffic stops was that we always walked up to the car wait no that's not sorry opposite we always would call people back to the car and so um I don't know how I managed to, you know, so then being able to get into somebody's car to search, it's a lot different if you walk up and maybe you can see, you know, maybe if you see some kind of paraphernalia sitting around, sitting in the car, you can, you know, as an use that to get into the car. But I always loved it. I loved the, well, loved it. I didn't, I can't say I loved the drug part, but, but the, just the whole concept of the investigation and seeing where it went. I did really like that much more so than, just going out and patrolling, hailing whatever, you know, the, whatever calls came in. Oh, yeah. um, and the area where I worked was Alachua County, Florida, um, which is where University of Florida is. Um, the city of Gainesville itself, where the college is, I mean, that that's a city. Um, but outside of that, the rest of the county is pretty rural. And in patrol, there'd be times when I was just bored out of my mind, you know, because it's either – they say the 80 20 one, you know this, but I mean, it's it's more like 90 10 or 95 5. Like 95% of the time, you're bored out of your mind, and 5% of the time, it's you know, all hell's breaking loose. Yeah, and that, that, I think that's about right. It's, I think it's about 95 5 usually. Yeah, but for the strange days where it's like full moon and Halloween or something, I don't know. But there were days where it was just a shit show the whole shift long. But narcotics, I just liked the the more. I don't want to say more proactive nature of it, but I mean, you had it, you got information and you worked it as far as you could and you hopefully got to do some buys and then hopefully you flipped those people so that you could figure out where it was coming from. And particularly in the areas where they're selling crack, because the neighborhoods are so bad. And the part that would break my heart is we'd get these buys out of homes and then we'd get the search warrants and go in and get the, you know, do the search warrants to 
always with the goal being to try and flip these people to figure out who they're getting it from. But you're in your, that when you're at that street level, that low level street stuff, you hardly ever go up the chain. And then you see this such a revolving door of people. And well, the saddest part beyond just that these guys are just going to keep getting arrested over and over and over again is the kids that would be around that. That always bothered me so bad. Um, we, you know, we get do these search warrants and go into these houses and the houses are filthy. And, you know, if they have a mattress, it's on the floor. There's no such thing as like, I, I don't know, so many times like they didn't have a bed frame that they didn't have sheets on the bed. They didn't have dressers. Their clothes were just piled up on, you know, one end of this bare mattress and go and search the kitchen and you open up, I don't know, the, the microwave and there'd be roaches coming out of the microwave and, it's just so heartbreaking, but, um, five gallon so bucket in the bathroom, a very dirt. What I said five gallon bucket, five gallon bucket in the bathroom. Oh, uh, I didn't see that very often. I did see some really nasty. Oh, y'all didn't, you didn't get much of that. No, we, we used to go in houses, crack houses and stuff. And instead of having a toilet there, they just have a five gallon bucket that everybody was using. Well, I mean, I went in some really nasty mobile homes over the years. Um, I think I use the home, the word home loosely, <laughs> um, crack house slash whorehouse. I mean, you just walk in, just didn't want to touch anything. Um, thankfully that was one of the, I remember one of those we went in, it was in the middle of nowhere. For some reason, I don't remember why we executed the search warrant during the day. Normally we don't do that. We do it at night, you know, for the element of surprise, but, and there was some, these just crack whores there and, I know I was only female, so I got the honorable duty of, you know, searching all the any females we came across, and um, and then I had to that particular time I had to help transport them to the, to the jail. So it was a nasty mobile home, and then I got out of the searching duties because I had to transport help transport these chicks to the jail because there were so many of them at this whorehouse that they outnumbered the person who tra- came to transport them. So I got to that was fun. Um, but, uh, so yes, I did that and living in that dirty world of crack, it's just gross. You're right. I mean, and so many sad stories of like whole families being on crack or, I mean, it's just gross. But, um, I mean, the funny thing is I came from a world where, I mean, to this day, I mean, I've never done a drug in my life. I've never even tried weed. And when I went out first day in narcotics unit and they put me in the car to go buy crack, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. But the good thing is uh, money talks and bullshit walks, as they say. So oh, as long yeah. as you got a $20 bill, you can you can do the job. So I did. So well, I was going to say, unfortunately, but it's not unfortunate. It's just it's an unfortunate period. But you know, crack's not that big anymore. Yeah, uh, it's way worse things. Well, uh, way now, worse. I mean, they're all bad, but now everybody's you know using fentanyl and heroin and mm-hmm. and you know crack was an epidemic. But I remember back in the nineties and stuff when crack was big, we wasn't we wasn't de- dealing with the amount of uh, overdoses that we do now with right. people ODing on this fentanyl and stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's uh. You know, I came across a guy not too long ago. I called out that he was uh, that he was uh, ten seven, which is uh, out of service, mm-hmm. dead. And they started getting there, and I mean, I looked and everything, and I said, "I'm not a medical person." <laughs> I'm like this dude's dead. 
You know, I couldn't find out they get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was almost dead. He was ODing on drugs, but he had crashed his car. I guess he, you could see the uh, where he had been shooting up. He crashed his car. Yeah. We thought he died at first. We thought he was dead at first from the crash because it was a pretty horrific crash. Couldn't find yeah. out. He wasn't dead at all. Once they, uh, they got the paramedics knew what they were looking at because um, they, um, was that crap they've squirting their uh in their nose and stuff like that. Like stuff they I don't know. Uh, it's it's at the tip of my tongue. Like I said, COVID <laughs> brain. But uh COVID brain. It's the, the anyway, they they hit him with it hit it hit him with it and, Oh uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of it right now either. But yeah. They hit Go him ahead. with yes, it the and the self help you come back. Yeah, and he come you know, he came back. Ruined his hive, got pissed off. He ended up uh, running away from the, escaping out of the hospital or something. Uh, <laughs> we were looking for him later. Yeah, the fentanyl is bad. I, I actually shared a, a video on LinkedIn recently that I found, uh, came across on the news that um, a rookie cop was searching a car and came across some drugs, just opened it up, and his Feel, I think he was in training, so his FTO was like, "Stay, you know, don't stay away from that stuff. Like you could OD just from, you know, just the whiff of it." And sure enough, he, I mean, within seconds, he fell to the ground. And his FTO, had he not had one of those things you're talking about, I can't think of the name either right now. Um, had he not reversed the the, he would have OD'd and crashed. I mean, he would have died. They because they had to revive him two more times on the way to the ER once the ambulance got there from doing nothing but searching a car, finding something and opening it up. That the fentanyl is bad. It is bad. bad. I mean, just, just um, from touching it. You, yeah. I mean, it, he, yep. Cause he's had no exposure. And, and the, you know, and then from the, I mean, we've all known somebody in our lives who has been an addict or know somebody who has a family member that is an addict. And I'm, I know two people, um, you know, they were a heroin addict both times they got out of rehab and unfortunately decided to go use again, but they thought they were using heroin. Turns out it was laced with fentanyl and they died because they, they didn't know fentanyl was in it. That's not what they were buying. Who, why would people put fentanyl in it anyway? I don't know. But anyway, that fentanyl, it does, it's killing a lot of people and it's very sad. It's very, very dangerous for cops. Just like that story I just told. I mean, look me up on LinkedIn, anybody that's listening and watch that video and just see how quickly this kid, I mean, Rookie cop, and literally it's seconds from him just seeing a white powder, like looking at it. He didn't. It is bad. So I recommend looking at it just to see, so you can be super, even more cautious. As oh, you definitely I mean, one of the things that you and I have talked about is like I don't want cops to commit. You know, I, I'm worried about the mental health of cops, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. But I mean, this is just all the things you have to do to protect yourself in this job, but it's exhausting to just think about all the ways you have to protect yourself. But one of them is be very wary of any type of you know chemical you see because if it's fentanyl, you could OD just by catching some whiffs, and that's I mean it's scary. Oh yeah, it's, like I said, I remember I say I'm old uh, back in the day, you know, we back back in the early '90s and stuff when I was doing this and stuff. You didn't think about putting gloves on when you were searching cars and all that stuff nope. like that. And now it's like, you know, the first thing you do is glove up before you ever touch anything, yeah. period. And it's just. I 
normally had gloves if I thought I might have to touch a dead person or, you know, if somebody was bleeding. But usually, you know how that works. Like you have gloves or it's in your car and then something ha- – you don't have time to stop and run and go get your gloves. I had them and I never used them. I never – I would think I would, I would put gloves on when I had to search people, pat people down because it was just – mostly just because they were just gross. Um, you know, people who've been using crack for ever are not clean. Um, and then I – I kind of even wore – I, I know guys that would wear the gloves that hopefully would protect them from pin pricks or whatever. Cause I used to, every time I used to always say when I would search a female, I'd say, I would always say, if you better tell me now, if you have anything on you, that's going to poke me, prick me or cut me, tell me right now so that we can get it out. Because if you don't, I'm going to lose my shit on you. Yeah. I had and, some, and I didn't, I had some like leather just, gloves. That really freaked me out is all those nasty needles they would have. And like, I remember one girl is at this crack house. I was just, I just talked about this and I had to search her. I said, tell me right now, anything on you that's going to poke me, stick me or cut me, tell me right now. And I won't charge you with it. Just tell me. She didn't say anything. I search her, you know, she, I tell her to like grab her bra and pull her bra out and two knives drop out of her bra. Like you crazy. <laughs> She was nasty. Um, she had lots of choice words for me when I took her to jail that day. I had some of them um, leather gloves that uh, had the lining in it that was uh, mm-hmm. like puncture proof against knives yep. and needles and stuff like that. Of course, mm-hmm. of course, back in those days too, AIDS was like a, a really, really AIDS was mm-hmm. big thing. I mean, if you caught it back then, you, you know, it was a death sentence. Yeah. So. Yep. I remember one of the guys I worked with. They thought he had gotten exposed to a suspect who, who was HIV positive. And so they had to put him on all that medicine for, uh, I don't remember what it was, but I mean, it was like a, it wasn't a forever life thing, but they had to put him on something to hopefully help prevent him from becoming HIV positive. And he was out for almost a month and it, it was not like it really, it was not, it was not fun for him, but yeah, that was the thing then. Now it's so many more things. It seems like. Yeah. I remember um, better. The guy missed. I was arresting a guy one time, and like he turned around and spit at me, you know, and mm. missed, and you know, spit at my face, and and then he's like, you know, said he, how he was trying to give me AIDS. Come to find out, he was HIV positive. Thank God he. Oh, good lord! Met, I mean, it was just yeah, just crazy crap like that. Yeah, crazy people in this world, and cops get to see all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what drives me crazy about people will say. You know, people who have an opinion about law enforcement who have no idea whatsoever what law enforcement deals with on a regular, daily, all the time basis. I mean, even even though I, I didn't do patrol, I still, I mean, my, I lived in the drug world for three years. I mean, the crap you see, the drugs you see, the, the people that are on the drugs, the people who wanted to be our snitch so that they wouldn't get arrested so that they could, you know, it's just calling that, it's just calling confidential informants. But, um, but the, I mean, I remember one time this, we used her, this girl and, and sometimes they come in and they seem like they're coming in voluntarily. So you, you're always a little bit suspect of that. Like why you're here, who are you reporting on? Why are you doing this? Um, Cause sometimes they're just like a pissed off neighbor you know, what this stuff, like something's coming in their neighborhood or a bad neighborhood neighbor moved in the neighborhood and all of a sudden they have drug trafficking they did before and they want to get rid of it. But so those are good reasons. But I mean, there's this one lady came in. I should never like, why are you snitching on these people? Like, I feel like if I go in with you to buy these drugs, like 
she made me nervous and you know not everything made me nervous as a cop but you know every once in a while you're doing something you get that feeling and she was one of the few where I, a couple times I was going in with her one time I, I canceled it I called my lieutenant and I'm, like, I'm not doing this and he said he says okay that's fine you don't have to but why and I said something's off with her you know and they always respected that thankfully um and but then I she fell off the radar and one day I was driving home and, you know, I had an undercover car and I pull over and I was like, Hey, come over here. And she took her a minute to realize who I was. And when she walked over, I was like, Oh my man, she's, she is off the wagon for sure. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's just sad to see the, like the world you've lived in. You've been a cop, what, for 20 something years now? Um, coming up um, on, yeah, 26, And in many ways years. you might think, I don't, it doesn't, you know, I've seen it all. It doesn't affect me, but it does. It does affect you. It affects your outlook on life, on people, on your, you know, like whether or not you are in tune with your emotions or not. And in some ways that is compounding stress, even if you don't feel like you're under undergoing any type of stress, but you, you are, and all cops are. And the more that compounds, the more, like ultimately the body will find a way to release that stress and that's what I do now is I just want to provide training and resources and tools and tips for cops to find something that resonates with them that makes them feel happy so that they can feel the happiness and as long to me if you're feeling happiness and you're not holding on to that stress certainly go see a therapist if you feel like you're you know I think most cops should see therapies regularly um, but to to combat that that compounding and just yeah, every single time there's just more stress and more stress and more stress. Even if it's, if it's just little bitty additions that all is, um, it, it will matter someday. I mean, we've all, we've all known too many cops that they retire and the month after they retire, they die. Well, that sucks. Like that's supposed to be like the, you know, the fun time of your life. Like you finally retire and you can do whatever you want to do. And then you die because you've just dealt with too much crap for 20 something, 30 something years. And I don't want that to happen. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. But People uh, don't realize that everybody's like, oh, these cops are so cynical or they're cold-hearted mm-hmm. or they're this or that. Mm-hmm. When you live in a world or you work in a world, which I can say, you know, most cops do 12-hour shifts or whatever. So, I mean, most everybody, period, spends more time at work than they do at home anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you're living in the type of world we get to live in, because mm-hmm. you got to think about most. I don't think the general public thinks about it. The people we're dealing with aren't the just general nice people of the world. Mm-mm. The Mm-mm. nice people don't have the cops called on them. They're not calling the cops for any reason, right. unless they get. Yep. But so ninety something percent of the people we deal with are the scum of the earth. And after you do a whole career of dealing with nothing but scum, I will mm-hmm. say you you have a hard time looking at you look at the general public and and automatically um, distrusting um Mm -hmm. wondering who's coming at you at what angle and just it 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 makes it makes life a whole lot difficult i'm not the same person now that 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 i was when i first started doing this and you know when i was 24 years old yeah nobody is nobody even in the short amount of time that i was a cop compared to the amount of time you've had in Nobody comes out of law enforcement, the same person that we're going in. And I remember 
I, I've told the story before, um, but I, I remember distinctly. So I was on this, you know, I was on the SWAT team and on the narcotics unit. A lot of those were the same guys, um, and we all worked together a lot, even if they weren't also on SWAT. The narcotics guys, all but one of them. Well, it was a, it was a small narcotics unit, but um, all there were all but one of them was on the also on the SWAT team. Um, and when we would get a search warrant, when the narcotics team would get a search warrant, it's the SWAT team that would execute the search warrant and, you know, break the door down, make sure it's all safe and all. And then the SWAT team would pack up their gear and leave and narcotics unit would stay. Well, then most of the narcotics unit people just simply changed hats. You know, I would take off my SWAT gear and go put it in my trunk and then bring my notebook back to start the searching or whatever. But, um, um, we would the just the stuff yeah the stuff that you see regularly that you know i guess describe the homes you see or the the the, the gross things you see oh but this was going to say that the so you know the being the only female in the narcotics unit and the SWAT team you know i get spotlight on everything i do and so i would always get everything i every mistake i made i got in big trouble for it and it got to the point where my captain was like, he had called me in to not talk about why I was in trouble, but I think he was worried that I would start to make a stink about it because I had, he, he's like, he called me in one day, how are you doing? And I said, I'm fine. I don't really want to get into it, but I will say like somebody at some point is going to have to start leaving me alone. Like just stop, let me do my job. I know I'm not perfect, but neither are the guys that I'm working with and stop, just leave me alone and let me do my job. And he called me another time and, you know, more trouble supposedly I was getting in and we was having a conversation about the job and, and how it, everything that you see. And it, I, I remember telling him, he's my you know, captain. I said, captain, I don't, honestly, this job, I said, you know, what I realize is that you have to not only you have to deal with all this crap within the agency, but realizing that you have to constantly assume the worst in all the people around you in order to survive. And that like, I feel like that should happen to people about four to five years into the job. You start to realize that if you don't do that, either you can be killed, you know, and you don't go home to your family, which is what's important, or one of the people you work with will be killed or somebody you're trying to be protect will be killed. And so like, you know, especially in our cottage, you know, so you're like pulling people over and you want to find the drugs in the car. And then some of these people, you know, they're just things happen all the time. You know, domestic violence, things are, dangerous trap all the high liability stuff traffic stops domestic violence especially traffic stops you pull people over and you never know who you're pulling over and you never know what's in the car and it could be the guy that just got out you know doesn't want to go back to prison and he's out on parole or probation and he'll do anything to not go back um so yeah and that's what you have to assume happens when you pull somebody over you cannot assume you're going to pull over you're the you know, your sweet little kindergartner, you know, your old kindergarten teacher who just retired and super old, you know, sweet lady. No, you have to assume it's somebody who, you know, protect yourself, go home at the end of the day. And I had a really hard time with that. Um, once that really settled in, cause like you can't trust people. And yet I didn't want to live a life where you can't trust people. And so I, I don't know how you balance. And I still don't, it's, I, that's one of the reasons I do is to find balance. That's why I say one of the things my business does is to help cops find balance and what I mean is you're not, you can't change what the job is. You do need to go into the job protecting yourself and protecting those were hired, you were hired to serve. But at the same time, how do you, you got to balance out who you are as a person 
and balance out your mental state and find ways to do that so that you can still do what you need to do on the job, but then let it go and go home. And I think that's really hard to do. Um, and I, so that was what, I mean, that was many years ago, but that was one of, it was around the time I decided, you know, I think the best way I can do this is I, I want to leave the sheriff's office and decided to become an attorney because I knew that I wanted to get, you know, come back and give back someday. And so now, you know, I'm, I'm able to help from a legal perspective because I'm an attorney um, and I've been involved in litigation for 13 years. So I know what it's like to build up a case and, and uh, in many different ways. And I can go into examples of what I mean by that, but, um, but I it, also more important and not more importantly, but, but uh, very importantly is that I want cops to find a way to find that balance and have the conversation where even if, if at first you think, Oh, that's silly. I'm fine. Great. I'm glad you feel like you're fine, but just listen to what I have to say a few times and then, okay, well, I might try that meditation you're talking about. My husband calls it that hippy dippy stuff. <laughs> um, f- try it, try it for three minutes, five minutes, try it for three to five minutes for a week, you know, before, after your shift, especially after your shift and just see if it just helps how you feel a little bit because you're never going to change what the job is ever. I mean, you're hired to do, you're hired to run towards danger. You're hired to deal with the judges of society because society wants somebody to be able to do that. That's never going to change. The only thing that you can change is how, how you are as a person inside. And that's, that's very important to me. And, you know, we talked about it earlier. There are more cops that die by suicide than there are that die from injury, you know, on the job or, you know, in the line of fire. And that should not be the case. We should not be losing more cops from suicide than we should be from the dangers of the job. Um, well, a lot so. of departments, a lot of departments, I think, need to make changes on the stigma because, as you know, mm-hmm. as I know, a lot of departments, if uh, if you're active duty, and you come out and you're saying you're having any kind of messed up thoughts, not even suicidal thoughts, just having, you know, I don't know, some emotional difficulties, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The first mm-hmm. thing they're going to do is rubber, you know, give you the rubber stamp. Yeah. yeah. And so the problem is, is that I, my opinion is, is that you have a lot of cops that would probably come forward and go ask for some help if they didn't think it was going to cost them their career. But I agree. Instead, they don't because they're not trying to going to ruin their career and their family's mm-hmm. lives. So they just keep it bottled up inside and stuff like that until one day it's just, I don't know, they just can't handle it or something like that. I totally that. agree. Especially the guys that have been in it. I mean, like you and, and the guys that I started with that are still in them and they're entering their, you know, crossing over that 20 year point or the 25 year point or like in Florida, for, I'm not sure how it's other States, but like in Florida, you get to that point where you, you can enter the drop where you can you know, earn more some retirement money. And the last thing you want to do is do something to jeopardize your pension and jeopardize the money that you're counting on when you retire. And, it, and then the catch 22 is that you've been through all this crap for 20 something, 25 something, 30 something years. And so that you really do need help, but that, yeah, I mean, you can't say anything because you would, the last thing you want is to be fired. And if you're fired, you mess up, that messes up your pension in some ways and it depends that depends on where you are and pension fund and all that but um 
but you still, you don't want to go out like that and, or even have to worry about what is the tech affect my retirement. I totally agree. I mean, even my agency, I, I didn't feel like I had anybody I could go to that I could trust. I did not feel like my agency really had my best interests at heart. Um, it's a huge conflict of interest to have because the agent gets has to protect themselves against the things the officers do while also trying to provide the right kind of tools and resources so that the cops are okay that hopefully to hopefully reduce the number of maybe possibly wrong decisions that they might make. Um, and I mean, that's also one of the reasons I started my business is I know that cops have distrust of their agencies. I had, I felt it when I was a deputy sheriff. And so with my businesses, it gives it, you, and I'm not the only one out there, a lot of ways you can get help. Like, like for example, if you want, had some mental health worries, you can reach out to a lot of people. They don't have anything to do with your agency. A lot of them can, there's a lot of assistance out there so that um, hopefully if you feel like you want help and you don't want it to go, go through your agency, there's a lot of resources, a lot of information you can find. Uh, same thing with me. I mean, a lot of departments, even if you have a, um, you need some type of um, program to help you with your mental health, they don't want to use it. They don't want to ask for it. They don't want to take advantage of it because they're afraid it will paper their file in the wrong way. Um, also, being a cop, sheriff's deputy, law enforcement person, however you want to put mm-hmm. it, I've noticed if you see one of your friends or something uh, having you might have you think maybe having a little issue or whatever man don't just mm-hmm. be um the big macho cop you know of this whole persona stigma whatever everybody wants to have talk to your buddy or whatever I mean mm-hmm. I'm not saying their names it's long just many many years ago had a guy I worked with was going through a divorce, ended up having he was having a little tough time with it. They the department put him on leave for a little while while he got his crap straight, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, almost everybody just shunned him. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was in he'll he'd probably tell you today, I was one of the few people that stepped up and made sure I called, went and checked on him, went and talked to him and everything else. And everybody mm-hmm. else basically turned their back on him because of that. Mm-hmm. It's like Y'all, y'all, you know, everybody out there wants to holler about this thin blue line crap, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if y'all want to holler about the thin blue line crap and say, oh, we're thin blue line, well, you know what? Then that means that person's still part of it when they're having issues, too, not just when they're toting the line with you. Mm-hmm. Too many times mm-hmm. everybody just turns their back on them when, uh, when something does happen. When people leave a department and change divisions, mm-hmm. people think that, uh, you know, you find out, I've said this before, you find out who your real friends are and who, mm-hmm. you know, who your uh, work acquaintances are. I did one before, I think I uh, it said on uh, non-work friends. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for law enforcement people to have, try to have friends that are not cops. I know, yep. I know it's hard, but try to have some of the hard cops. Yeah. Uh, yep. Don't hang out with people that you work with, just that you work with all the time when you're off. Because I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. whenever you retire, get fired, uh, quit, or whatever, mm-hmm. 
whatever department mm-hmm. which you're with, you you might have you probably experienced this once you quit being in law school. You probably had a, a couple people that stayed in touch with you, but I guarantee you, I mean, the majority of them had nothing to do with you after a while. Like they didn't even know who no, you were. No, I, my leaving the sheriff's office was not a good experience in many ways. <laughs> I it was horrible. I had a really bad relationship with my sergeant and and my lieutenant and I felt like oh it was not good I didn't talk with hardly anybody I come back later and find out there's like rumors about a bunch of shit I didn't even I mean it was just not good so yeah I law enforcement it's it's kind of what I'm saying about how you see so much bad stuff and if you're not doing something for yourself to feel the good stuff. And I mean, like good stuff could be as simple as like, just do having a daily routine that, you know, outside of work to help you, you know, like unwind after work or, and to find balance and joy. And like you say, like hanging out with some people outside of work, that don't have anything to do with law enforcement. So you're not talking the talk or, you know, I, I used to hang out with the guys from SWAT a lot. And like in hindsight, I, I was doing that because I wanted to be a, a valued member of the team and I felt like, and I it, usually we were having fun, but looking, you know, hindsight 2020, what I should have done is I can be a valuable team member, you know, do my job, work really hard. And then, yeah, do some of the social things we would do as a team, but I didn't need that. That didn't need to be all that I did. And that probably would have helped me survive or maybe last longer than I, than I did um, in dealing with the, str- the, the, the um, struggles of, of being the only female on the team or, and just a difficult supervisor or whatever, because um, you do, you need, it's all, life's all about balance. And it's not a, so I tell people a lot, and what I'm doing now is I have a wellness training program. And it's because it's, and it's something, you don't like just go take a course and check the box and you're done. No, it's, this is a lifelong journey, especially, you know, you're in law enforcement for your career. And like you say, you spend more than, you more time at job, at your work than you do anything else to find a way to, find balance but your balance doesn't just come from work it's your home life and your friend life and your um yeah and then there's what are you doing for yourself are you exercising how are you eating are you reading are you um you know like i like to read so i if if i can find some time to read it doesn't have to be every day then that helps me deal with my work my husband my kids like helps me balance all of that and you know i have a bit i'm starting a new business which is really hard and it seems very isolating and lonely sometimes, but then I can go hang out with my friend who has nothing to do with my business and is not in the law enforcement world at all. And I feel so happy hanging out with her that when I come back to do this hard work, it, it feels more like, how do you eat an elephant? One, one bite at a time. you know, like, you just tackle it one piece at a time. And I f- definitely feel like that is a, that's a very good piece of advice you just said. And I'm sure you learned it the hard way is you're all like, you got to, socialize with people outside of your shift socialize with people outside of law enforcement because it is a very secular world anyway and i think it's important to be around people who aren't tainted by everything that cops see and to hear some good and be like be around some optimists every once in a while because cops are not optimists (laughs) cops are definitely pessimists um i call it the debbie downers or the um, poly positives. Um, find some poly positives because you'll find plenty of Debbie Downers when you when you go to work. 
Oh, um, it's just like, well, everybody sees the negative of everybody. Yeah. Um, and yep. being in law enforcement, like I said, I think I've said it before also, do not, I don't want to word it crooked, don't, your badge on your chest does not define right. who you are as an individual. And the problem is, right. is after you have that uniform on and that badge and you strap up every day to go to work, you put a gun on, you do all this other crap. And once a lot of these people, once you're not in law enforcement anymore, it's like, and and I, I can say I experienced it for a short period of time. I mean, I wasn't, I, I had a quick transition from one department to the other when there was a couple of weeks mm-hmm. there, but mine was like unexpected. Like I said, I, I switched jobs unexpectedly. And, mm-hmm. you know, at, at first, I mean, I actually, I thank God my wife listened to me, you know, because I mean, I went through a little depression there because I was like, I, you know, I'd been doing this 20 something years and next thing you know here mm-hmm. i am i don't know who i am anymore mm-hmm. which i'm always gonna be me so i mean don't let being a cop you can't let think that that badge and that uniform defines who you are yep. you define i totally agree you need to define to who the it, badge I used is to call that the um i used to call that the either the little man syndrome and i don't mean that to be <laughs> sexist or the Napoleon complex. Like, I just feel like, you know, you just get to Napoleon, like he's a little guy and I was, you know, he had his uniform and he you always see pictures of Napoleon and have his, like his hand is always in his sash and he's like stature. <laughs> and he's, I felt like he's always trying to overcome the fact that he was small and like overcome something. And, you know, I definitely worked with enough, plenty of guys um, that I, you could definitely tell that there was no separation between who they were, on their job and with that badge and gun and, and, and with that certification, cause you know, you can you graduate the police Academy. That doesn't make you a cop. You have to have an agency that gives you your credentials or your certification. I mean, mostly your credentials. And so like, I still have my sheriff's office badge, but that doesn't mean Jack Ola without the, the certifications or the credentials. Sorry that my sheriff gave me yeah. and certainly turning that in and, and especially like coming right out of, narcotics unit and SWAT and, you know, very intense, um, high energy, fast paced law enforcement type jobs. I mean, you know, had all the guns, we got all the training, we train a lot. And then you go back into just civilian world and think, I mean, first of all, you think, well, if something happens now, what am I supposed to do? I don't have my MP5 or my Benelli shotgun or my, and I guess I can go buy all those guns. But I mean, you know, it's when you're in law enforcement, you are, have the, the power to use those things more kind of, you know, more so. And, and there's, that's a deeper legal discussion, but like more so than just regular old citizens. And certainly there, that's a, a very heavy, I don't know, that's, I'll call it a power trip. I mean, it's hard to come off of that, which is is another reason why you should like I want to on the one hand I say you should find balance in life so that you can have you can find the happiness because it's hard to find happiness in the job as a in law, in law enforcement all the time. You're dealing with so many bad things. On another side, you need the balance because, like you say, like you've got to be able to get you're more than just the job. And I think if you can get too tied up in who you are as a cop and the power that you have as a cop. I mean, you have the power to, you know, potentially take away life. You have the power to take away people's constitutional freedoms. And there are very few jobs in this country 
that allow you to take away somebody's constitutional freedoms. I mean, I remember something as simple as the first time I pulled, I was in field training and, you know, the first three months you're riding along, seeing what they do. And then the second three months you can, you know, you switch over and I'm driving. And then the third, third, three months, I think it's that long. Maybe not. No, it's not that long, but the, you know, the, the middle phase is when you start to do it and they are guiding you. And then the second, the third phase is you're doing it all. And they'll just, you know, critique you in, in case you're really making big mistakes. I remember my first traffic stop, it was like, it was in Gainesville and it was a football game weekend. So it was kind of quiet in the morning, but it was getting ready to be crazy because the game was that night. And some, some guy like rolled through a stop sign. And I said, I looked at my field training deck and I was like, did you see that? He said, see what? And I said, I think that guy just ran the stop sign. And he said, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, can I stop him? And he said, I don't know, can you? I was like, well, can I stop him? And he said, I don't know, can you? And I was like, I think I can. He's like, well, then go stop him. <laughs> I'm like, I, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm going to turn my lights and sirens on, and this person has to listen to me. And if he runs from me, I get to arrest him. And, like, I have the power to tell this guy he is no longer free to move about until I do what I need to do. And that, I, I maybe that doesn't happen to all cops, but it did to me. i like, holy crap. I can stop him, and he's not allowed to go for now. I can give him a ticket, and if he ignores all of it, ultimately he could get arrested, which is taking away a freedom. You know, like, I just found that to be heavy. and. And I think all cops should, should remember that that's a heavy duty, a heavy burden to bear, because you should never take it lightly, ever. And I think that when you do take, start to take it lightly is when mistakes can be made. Decisions um, can, I mean, we've all seen them. I don't need to air people's bad mistakes because the media does that plenty. And nobody's perfect. And I think most cops do make all the right decisions almost all the time. Um but I think that that balance is so important. It's so important to have balance outside of law enforcement, to have, like you say, friends outside of law enforcement. But it's also really important to do the internal work to know who you are as a person and to literally sit there and say, and with a journal, and you can call that hippy-dippy stuff if you want to, but I'm not kidding when I say you should sit down and write down and say, who am I besides being a cop? And write it down. And I bet you there would be a lot of cops who would say, say like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, but who you are, if you're not a cop tomorrow, who are you? Because this job is just a job. It, you could get fired tomorrow for some stupid reason. Maybe you could sue and get your job back, but you could get fired tomorrow. All of you, maybe except for some of these, you know, the, especially in the South where we're at will states like you and I, you can be fired tomorrow. You might have some grievance, a grievance process to go through through your union but you'd have to fight to get that job back, and it's no guarantee you'd get it back. Well, I work for a sheriff's then, office, and if you're from the South, you'll know I'm an at-will employee of the sheriff. Yeah. I yeah. means I have zero. We don't have a union we, or nothing like that. Basically, I could go to work, and the sheriff could walk in and say, you know what? I don't like your haircut. You're fired. I don't right. like your cologne. Yep. You're fired. Then you're out. Uh, and I'm, and then I'm you gone. There's, the there's nothing right. I can do. There's nobody I can right. sue or, or nothing. Right. That, there's nothing yeah, I can maybe. do about it. <laughs> Call me if it happens and maybe we'll, we'll figure out. If yeah, we I, I, well, I'm just saying, but a lot, a yeah. lot of department, a lot of cops are, are civil service or PD guy. Yep. Yep. They have that civil service protection. Like I said, I've been that yep. will employee now for 20, coming up on 27 years or so. Yep. And you know, yeah, will employee. Yep. No, you're and, right. And it's, yep. I've tell, I tell the guys all the time, I'm like, I've told guys, and uh, when I used to, uh, FTO guys, I'm like, 
They're like, oh, this, that. I'm like, look, let me explain something to you. No one is uh, non untouchable. I don't right. care. You know, you, no one. The, you know what? This department w- was functioning before you got here. It's going to fun- yep. function after you leave. You were a number. Whatever, whatever your badge number is, that's your number. And yeah, that's it. I said so. I was, I was six nine six. I was, you know, uniform is patrol. A U six nine. That was, you know, Oscar six nine six when I was in narcotics. And yeah, I was. That was it. And then my, when I'm gone, that's it. it. Doesn't matter anymore. And I guarantee right. you, probably in the department, somebody's got that same number now, and they're still going. <laughs> and uh, but it's, 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 I've told. I've told people, I've told people, especially young ones, I've seen, I've seen law enforcement career destroy marriages. Oh yeah. Not, not, I'm not not just saying for cheating or anything else. I'm saying I've watched it destroy marriages for a simple fact of you spend all your time at work. If they call Mm -hmm. you, you're always the first one to volunteer for something. You're always doing the free stuff, the volunteer stuff, all the stuff like that. And I try mm-hmm. to tell them, I'm like, that, fine and dandy. I said, but it's not going to do you no good. If you're trying to advance mm-hmm. that way, it may help a little bit. I'm going to say, because mm-hmm. out of the hundred attaboy pats you get on the back, that one fuck up that you do, they're going to forget yep. about them hundred good things you did. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> because also most businesses on the planet don't manage people well, but certainly very few law enforcement agencies have good leadership. And I'm not trying to offend anybody in leadership that's out there, but it's just not, you don't get training on it. I mean, I was lucky enough in my twenties, I, I had unbelievable job where I got this amazing leadership training. And I mean, I was 21 years old at a job at a health club and I was getting trained on the seven habits of highly effective people and how you can most effectively manage your own life and like my life. And then how I can most effectively manage interactions with other people in a, you know, hopefully a positive way. And I mean, that, that was profound. I, you know, I had that training before I ever became a cop. And I, I mean, just if I, unfortunately there are very few people in leadership and law enforcement that get that kind of training very few sheriffs constables chiefs that have that training who instill that in their staff from the top down and so yeah you get horrible leadership supervisors and managers and i mean i did i had horrible supervisor i mean not all horrible i mean my, my captain when i left he was captain but um he no he was lieutenant over patrol and he became anyway doesn't matter um he and I stayed in touch. I mean, he's now, he's retired now. He's still in Florida. I mean, I we probably talk once a year. So, I mean, they weren't all bad. And he was a big proponent of mine. If it hadn't been for him, they never would have put me on SWAT team, which my lieutenant reminded me of on a regular basis. Um, but there were some good ones, but I think that was more luck than anything. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no guarantee. So that's all the more reason that you need to find balance in life in so many ways. And that's like taking a break from job, take the vacation. Don't ever let your vacation run out, take the vacation. And I guess you'd like to fish, go out and fish because you're out fishing. You can't be loud. You're just thinking about fishing and you're probably thinking about other things and you're, you know, hippy dippy communing with nature. And I don't care, but you are, if you're out fishing, that means you're in nature and that feeds your soul. Do the things that feed you. I mean, well, what I've done with my business is, I've created a program, which I'm actually going to announce it's starting in September is it gives you, it, it teaches you 
not the ways to do that because like the way that I recharge me is a lot different than you recharge you. Um, but it gives you lots of different ways to do that. But then a lot of talk and, and training on it's really why it's so important that you do that for yourself so that not only can you come out of this job, happy, healthy, balanced, but that, you know, you make the right decisions on the job and you, then you make, can make the right decisions off the job and you're not letting the job completely consume who you are. And I think a lot of people can let their jobs consume them, whether it's law enforcement or not. It's just that the, the extremes that come along with law enforcement make that so much more important. And what my program does is to teach people is, you know, you don't say, Oh, I'm going to eat this carrot today so that I'm, and then check. I don't have to eat a carrot again for the rest of my life. No, we all know that to be healthy as you age, you have to eat healthy for the rest of your life. So that, you know, like I want to eat healthy. One of the reasons is so that I can be active and healthy when my kids grow. And then when I have, you know, when they get out of the house and then might hopefully have grandkids someday, I want to be able to play with my grandkids. I don't want to be laid up somewhere because I'm so didn't take care of myself and can't move around. Um, but it's to teach that it's a journey and that doesn't have to be a bad, it's not a, it's not a negative thing to say you should work on yourself, but work on yourself all the time. Cause that also evolves the way that I need to work on myself now in my forties is not the same that I would have, or that I did in my twenties when I was single with no kids and you know, gung ho with my career and I'm and still gung ho in my career is different ways. But you know what I'm saying is that life evolves and you evolve with it. And what my training does is to teach people the ways and the, it, that you can do that for yourself. But that includes not just eat well, it's not just exercise. It's not just, you know, Hey, go have that lunch date with a friend so that you can, you know, recharge. But, um, the importance of, um, you know, what the, what the effects of that are and just for, and to remind people of it all the time. Um, cause I know I, I can be reminded, I need to be reminded regularly of lots of different things so that it's not something that falls off my radar so that I stop taking care of myself in certain ways. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I agree with you in so many ways that there needs to be that, that, I mean, basically what we're saying is that the job of law enforcement is so hard, but for so many different reasons. <laughs> And, and not just because of what they see. It's that, um, I mean, everything we've just talked about. So. I don't know. It's a lot of different aspects of it. I, I, I will say this. The department I work for now, uh, the sheriff I work for, he is phenomenal. I mean, me working for a sheriff's office and he allows me to do this. Yeah. Which is a lot of, a lot of, like I said, it's hard for me to get guests. A lot, a lot of local, not local, not a lot of law enforcement, period, uh, PD and, or however, wherever they work, uh, sheriffs, wherever, they, I've talked to a lot of them. They're like, I'd love to do it. I get fired in a heartbeat if I even thought yeah. about doing that. So, yep. I mean, so, and I've seen this man that I work for now. He's, Way more, he's way compassionate to his employees. I, I got to say one thing that I, I, I lucked out with the person I work for now. Mm-hmm. But I've worked for some, uh, you know, just just yeah. regular supervisors before in other departments and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I've had some great supervisors, and I've had other supervisors that that sucked ass. And yeah, if you, if me you, too. <laughs> any y'all out there? But, but, 
ever do decide to become a supervisor, uh, a sergeant, lieutenants, captains, corporals, I don't know how, how some departments work. Uh, I say, you know, remember, if you make rank and you become somebody's supervisor, hopefully they'll send you to some kind of leadership classes. Yeah. And don't forget that you used to be that grunt too. And don't forget yeah. how you used to feel when that sergeant or that lieutenant was chewing up in your ass, and especially mm-hmm. when you didn't know you didn't do wrong or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if I had some guys, I, I'm pretty sure the guys that when I was a sergeant would come and probably tell you that I, I, I would I jump some ass if I had to, but I took a lot mm-hmm. of ass chewings and never mm-hmm. told them about it because I didn't think that they did anything wrong. Yep. So, if you ever become a supervisor, remember that. Just because you got yep. stripes or, you know, chevrons or whatever on your shoulders and stuff like that, don't forget where where the hell you came from when you're out there yep. doing it. Those people are looking up to you to have their back. And if you if you can't if you lose the respect of the people working under you, you might as, you're done. You're done, and you're a shitty supervisor. You know, to me, one of the things with that, too, and that's something that through my program I will do offer and I'll continually offer, talk about and bring up. And But I think people are all people, all humans are hungry for knowledge. People just want to know they want to know how to do their job so they can do their job well. Very few people. I mean, unfortunately, in law enforcement, you deal with people who don't have that desire they don't want to do well they want to do harm and those but those people exist but hopefully hopefully none of the people that want to do harm are working at your law enforcement agency so let's just just assume that everybody that we're working with is you know wanting to do well and they want to they want to work hard they want to do their job the right way they don't want to make mistakes or you know heaven heaven forbid you know maybe violate somebody's rights nobody wants to do that and the best supervisors are the ones that are provi- continually like provide them feedback. And, and I don't care. I mean, you know, you might, you probably wouldn't like it if some new supervisor came in and even doing this a long time, but I mean, I'm mostly talking about the the newer people. And I, when I say newer, I mean like four year cops, five years, six years, seven year, or you change, you change departments and you go from patrol to detective. I mean, that's totally different and how you do the job and how you, you know, even how you evaluate cases and, um, but everybody always wants to know if they're how to do the job so that they can do the job right. And I don't think enough, I never did. I never had enough supervisors really saying, okay, this is how we're going to do this case. Um, you come in the narcotics unit and just, be, I mean, just because you go in the narcotics unit doesn't mean, it just doesn't mean you know how to do the job. And like, I know how to work hard, but that doesn't, like if my sergeant wants me to do a job in a certain way or my lieutenant has a particular method for the, for, for the madness, great. Just tell, like I've always said, all I need to know is just tell me the rules of the game and I can play the game. And I don't mean game and like game and shit or, you know, being sneaky. I just mean like if you want to play basketball, all you need to know is that the rules of basketball. Like you can't foul. You can't like, – you can be really successful at basketball if you follow the, the rules of the game. And – I don't think enough supervisors ever think about that. Like go on your study, you know, give your patrol guys some feedback and including positive feedback that makes so much of a difference. Or if you explain something and to try and tell them why, and you know, always, you know, 
unfortunately there's some politics involved in law enforcement so you might always get the, a good why behind it especially i think when you have a chief instead of a sheriff well if i mean you have if you anybody has a supervisor and or if you are a supervisor and you're more worried about covering your own ass yeah, and not bad. covering your people's ass. Mm-hmm. Quit being a supervisor. I agree. Stop worrying about your own ass. Mm-hmm. Your first, if you're if you're a supervisor, your first priority should be making sure you're taking care of your people. If it comes mm-hmm. down to your ass on that chopping block, then that's mm-hmm. where your ass needs to be at because that's the, the job title you took. But and I'm not. My, my I would have never thrown difficult. Never thrown any of my people under the bus to keep my ass out of a out of a bind or a sling. Yeah, my most difficult supervisor sergeant was I could just never figure out how to do right by him. I I literally would go to work saying, "Okay," and I'd, the job shift would be awful. I'd go home and the next day, okay. I'm, I'm gonna do this today. going to be. I, I know. I'm gonna today. I'm gonna do a good job today. I'm gonna do a good job, and and I was just. It just never worked. And I just wish there could have been a way for us to sit down and say, I, I if I could have like, go back to my person, my myself then, and I like, sit down with him and say, okay, Sarge, I, I I want to figure out how to do this job in a way that you think I should do the job. And apparently, we're not on the same page because I just could never do anything right by him, and. That was, it was awful. Um, and maybe he was intimidated I, by you that you scared you were going to start doing a better job and take his job or something. I mean, well, those, they all knew I was going to, they all knew I was going to leave at some point, but, um, anyway, but it was, um, that, that part, like, just hear me when I say that, because if you have somebody on your shift that might be making a lot of mistakes, number one, it could be, do they really know how to, like, maybe they had a really horrible training deputy or officer. I mean, I was, my first training officer was not great. I really hope he never listens to me say that because he's a fine person. <laughs> but all he did was complain about life. He didn't really teach me how to do the job. And then my second training deputy was fantastic. And then I'm just a very proactive person anyway. So I'm going to jump in and I really want to like learn it on my own. I want to make sure I'm doing it well, but at the same time, I think if like any supervisor out there, if you have somebody on your shift that's like, it seems like all they ever do is everything wrong. I mean, have you ever stopped to consider, do they really know how to do it right? And, and of course, then if you take the time to really show them how to do it right and they're still making the mistakes, then that's then you need to make sure you're documenting that because and then get rid of them because it's not this is not a job where if you make a mistake, you're just putting you're going to get a paper. I mean, a paper cut. This is a job where if you make a mistake. And we've all seen what those mistakes can be, um, you know, and considering that those can be violating somebody's constitutional rights. I mean, that's a big deal and yeah, or, or yeah. hurting somebody or or getting themselves hurt or I mean, getting, like I told we make, one when time. Law enforcement make mistakes. People can die. Right. I mean, yeah. with the Dante Wright thing not too long ago. Yeah. That lady made a mistake. Thought she had her taser out, had her gun out. She made a mistake. And that's heartbreaking. I mean, when we, when, when you have a job like we have, and you have to make life and death decisions in split seconds, you can't make mistakes. You can't. 
and we're all human and I'm not justifying what happened with that. I, my heart breaks for that lady. My heart breaks for the, the family that, that lost someone from that. It's such a, it's a horrible situation all the way around. And I'm sure you, you probably tell me if you've heard this story but, or, or just tell me if you've heard the story, but it, it's true. There's a guy that, um, I don't know him, but I've just heard the story that he used to train, you know, you, when you're in the academy or when you do your however so often self-defense cert- certification courses on the job or whatever, that you train to um, disarm somebody. And you train and, you, you, and when you train for that stuff, just like when you're on SWAT, you train for something and you do it over and over and over and over again so that when you need to use that skill, you can use it without thinking about it. So they're training on disarming, you know, they get in the you know stance and they disarm the guy that they, they, you know, where you get the gun and you flip it around and they give it back to the guy and you do it again. They train, they, they disarm and flip the gun around and get it away from the, you know, the bad guy or, the, you know, your, your training officer. And then you give it back and you do that over and over and over again. Well, this guy, one of the guys that had done that gets into an actual real life scenario where he was fighting a guy, the bad guy, real life bad guy got his gun, his, his duty off the weapon. And then he managed to get it back. He like, you know, disarmed him, got the gun back, gave it back to the bad guy. Because that's all he had ever trained to do was disarm, give it back, and do it again. Disarm, give it back, and do it again. And that's what his brain automatically did was muscle memory. give it back. So And so I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying I'm, I don't think people get – I mean I was trained on a taser. My training for a taser was I got tased once, so that, and then I got my taser. But we never got training on scenarios of, scenarios of when do you pull your gun or when do you pull your taser. I've seen some really great trainings come out since then that will train officers on the menta- that mentality. Like, what, what? Here's an, uh, you know, here's a, here's one, one explanation for why that happened, which is that normally when the shit hits the fan, you're grabbing your gun, but you get no training on when the shit hits the fan, you're grabbing your taser. I mean, maybe some agencies do, but by far, you qualify on your gun. You, you, you train on your gun. Um, and I just think that's something to consider in those situations. I'm not saying that, like I said, it's a horrible situation. That lady's on trial for murder, which is awful. Um, but it's just something to consider. And I think it's something for the public to consider. Like nobody knows what that's like unless, I mean, there's just so many different things that go into training. Um, well, in today's society, gear, routine, habit. Like it's, it all makes a difference. Today's society with all the body cameras, everybody with mm-hmm. cell phone cameras and mm-hmm. everything else. It's so it, everything, you know, of course is being videotaped now and mm-hmm. yep. they, everybody, the armchair, the armchair, I got out. everybody going to sit there and they have a, a week to sit there and watch the video over and over and over yeah. and over again. And people don't yeah, think how convenient that convenient for you that you get to watch it when somebody's, you know, and then slow it down and everything else. Yep. You're not there. You're not the one there seeing a black object come out of somebody's pocket in their hand coming into motion mm-hmm. towards you. And you have a, mm-hmm. a millisecond to think, all right, is it yep. a gun? Is it a cell phone? Is I mean, yep. People don't realize. Yep. People have no idea. That's um, why I wish I wish they would make all these news reporters, all these damn politicians and all this stuff like that go through shoot don't shoot scenarios with mm-hmm. simunition type rounds. I totally agree. And saying, Okay, here we go. 
here's a situation. You're, this is, mm-hmm. you know, you you pulled this person over or you got called here for this situation and let them go through it. I'm, well, I'd, I'm not a gambling person, but I guarantee you that I guarantee about 99% of them would fail miserably. Well, you fail and then you start to get shot by those, I mean, those little paint pellets. Yeah. And that hurts. And, you know, like, and, and you know, this, you, people see on movies, but like when you're, when somebody's, like when you're shoot, somebody's shooting at you or when you're shooting back, the number of times I was shot in my fingers um, because that my fingers hold the gun. And so people aren't necessarily aiming at me. They're aiming at the threat. The threat is the gun. And the times that I got shot on my fingers hurt so bad. I mean, and, you know, I was the only female, you know, that on the team. And so there'd be times when we had just done a bunch of SWAT training and we'd done that. And I got, we all got, yeah, everybody gets shot because, now training for to learn how to clear something better and some of the ladies at the sheriff's office with one time i had like scars on my arm and scrapes and bruises and they looked she looked at me and she goes bridget oh my gosh what are they doing to you and i'm like oh come on the same thing as the guys they don't get any i don't know i don't want to do anything different than they're doing and i like don't worry about it it's fine but they let the moms that well what the, the our secretary in our narcotics unit we called her mom i walked in one day and she goes Bridget, what are they doing to you? I'm like, well, they're not doing anything to me. They're not doing it to the guys, and that's the way it should be. Um, but, you know, guarantee I won't do whatever that thing is again, like <laughs> clearing stairwells or something where clearing stairwells were the most nerve-wracking experience to me because um, you can be shot from so many different angles in a stairwell. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, ultimately my mission in life, I mean, I'm 46 years old, and I finally figured out what I want to do in life. And what I do in life is I combine 20 plus 25 years of training and experience to give back to law enforcement so that all you guys can feel just a little bit happier, you know, enjoy your life a little bit more, hug your babies another day. What's the name of your? uh, It's called Protective Wellness. Um, And the the way the the business works is it's a membership-based and that offers three three main things: um, wellness training, um, legal support, and community. Um, the wellness training is that each month you get live and some recorded wellness topics. The legal support is that each month you'll get from me a short video on a legal topic that I think will help alleviate worry you have on the job. Um, but also. As a member, you get access to me or an attorney like me, which is an attorney that's also been a cop, So that, and you can get um, legal advice. So all you have to do is book an appointment, and you get uh, a one-on-one um, legal consultation on any legal subject. So I, I post something I reached out to the other day. It's like, hey, my boyfriend's having a child custody issue. I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, the way that works is that I can give advice. I can you know, give you some guidance on it. So it's basically like having your own general counsel set aside for you if you need it. Um, and then community, because we'll, we'll engage in a lot of conversations to help support. You know, one of the things I'm passionate about is helping support women in law enforcement, um, you know, to help guide them through the things that I experienced on the job. Um, but yeah, the company is called Protective Wellness, and we have a, my website is um, myprotectivewellness.com, or you can just Google Protective Wellness. And we're on all social media, so LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I just started. T- I don't have any TikTok out there yet because <laughs> there's only so much social media I can handle at a time. It definitely um, gets overwhelming. 
<coughs> sorry, but also I do have like, I keep talking about this wellness training. If you go to my website, I have a free download and it's a seven steps to, um, seven tactical steps to automate your wellness. Um, so just seven, you know, seven things to kind of check the box. It's like, if you want to start a wellness routine, here's seven things like look at this, 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 and this, and then get it started. And then my program is like actually you know, providing that training on a, on a regular basis. So that's what it is. Cool deal. All right. Well, mm-hmm. we're getting at that point. Don't hang mm-hmm. up. Don't hang up yet. And, mm-hmm. uh, going to get this outro out the way and, uh, I'm going to get the information from you, like some links or okay. whatever, so I can put it in the show notes. So stand by. We appreciate I appreciate it. I actually enjoyed it a whole lot. I don't get a lot of serious a lot of the time, and sometimes it's a refreshing to me. I know. This is so serious. <laughs> Normally you're goofy and y'all are yeah. laughing and making fun, and here I am. I feel like I'm the Debbie Downer. No, no. But sometimes it, it makes me. It's important stuff. Makes yeah. me know that. But everybody else knows that I'm just not an idiot all the time. So. <laughs> Most of the time I am, but not all. It's that eighty twenty rule, right? Or the yeah. ninety five and five? Yeah. <laughs> so if <Just> any <laughs> anybody out there wants to be a guest, like I said, hit me up on Facebook Messenger or email. It's the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, email is the quickest way I'll probably respond back to you. Uh, any first responder, you don't have to be a cop, of course. And uh. Hopefully this Wednesday we will be back on track. My voice will be, uh, hopefully, be back better. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to work, too. I'm about to get stir crazy sitting at the house. And remember to watch y'all's back. Watch you back. Uh, Stay safe out there. And uh, remember to smile because the ice man could always be behind you. I'm cranking up on the throttle. This is how